Happy Friday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the latest episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Last week, we saw the conference diverge into chaos when both James Madison and Coastal Carolina lost, while West favorite South Alabama and Troy survived home scares. Week 8 in the Sun Belt has already given us two exciting midweek games between App State and Georgia State, as well as the battle for the belt between South Alabama and Troy. But we've still got some exciting matchups, including Old Dominion versus Georgia Southern in a matchup between two teams that have outperformed expectations this season. Caden, it seems like the storylines in the Sun Belt just write themselves these days. Yeah, once you think one thing, we make our predictions on this podcast, we try our best to give our analysis, but the conference week in and week out proves us wrong sometimes, proves us right on other times. It's just an exciting league. We've obviously seen some exciting action already this week, and I'm looking forward to seeing some more exciting action this weekend. Well, in today's episode, we'll be previewing each of the five remaining Sunbelt games in week eight. We'll also give our reaction to Wednesday's blowout on the mountain and Thursday, Thursday's nail-biter uh, between South Alabama and Troy that Troy won, setting themselves up as kind of the favorite now in the West uh, with just a few games remaining in the season. Caden, it feels like we're starting to round second and head for third on the Sun Belt season. Are you still ready to talk some football? Definitely ready to talk about some football. Some of these teams are kind of separating themselves from the pack slowly, but surely we're getting to that time of year where we're going to see some teams start to have that stock rise and get hotter as November and December come around and some of those teams go down. So I'm super excited because we're starting to see some of that trajectory, I feel, early. Well, we'll go ahead and start this episode by talking about some of the games that took place early on this week, and we'll go ahead and do it in chronological order. So, Caden, we're going to talk about them boys from Boone and... App State plays Georgia State, a team that they've never lost to. They were 8-0 going into this matchup, and they're now 9-0 after the big win. Uh, they trailed early, didn't look great in that game, uh, but then it was about it was midway through that second quarter, late in that second quarter, that they found something. And, Caden, I think the question now for App State, is that something that they can replicate the rest of the year? And then a follow-up to that is, in your mind, like where does Georgia State go from here? Yeah, I think first and foremost, App State coming into this game three and three, it just looked weird. I was talking to my friends at App and just seeing that three and three record under App State is just something we're not used to and something that's now we're not accustomed to. So I think App State's biggest problem right now, and I think they kind of addressed it somewhat in this game because they did have a slow start, is the consistency of them. They've shown great high highs. We've seen 40 point fourth quarters against UNC. We've seen great second halves against Georgia State, but we've seen some low lows as well as far as the first quarter of this game, the first half of the Texas State game. So it's really going to be about can App State put all these pieces together? Can their offense, defense, and special teams mesh and play well in these best games they have that are coming up in the most important games? And I think as far as Georgia State goes, it's tough. I mean, they did a lot of things that they'd normally do in games. They had a great start. They ran the ball well, but I just think they were simply outmatched in this one. They were in the cold elements, and it looked like it kind of got to them and got to Darren Granger as far as some of his accuracy. So I think if you look at the rest of their schedule, they have some winnable games, but slowly slipping away from some of that bulk contention and slipping away from that top of the conference. So it's really going to be that end of the year. We talk about a lot of these teams. How much pride are you playing for? What are you playing for at this point? Because it's not always going to be for a bowl game. It's not always going to be for a championship. So it's going to be interesting to watch them and their motivation going forward from this loss because it was a tough one. And now they're sitting at two and five. Okay. And this was really a tale of two halves for App State. They didn't pick up their first third down until the seven minute mark in the second quarter. They had started out 0 for 5 on, you know, converting for first downs. Um, you know, they didn't run a single play in Georgia State territory until 630 left in the second quarter. But the, the switch seemed to flip. And really, I think the big thing to talk about there was they started to just rely on the run. They got behind the Bulls, as they call that offensive line at App State. 
and that running game popped off with one of the all-time performances uh, in App State history. No, that second to last drive that App State had right before the halftime um, buzzer went off was definitely one where you saw a huge difference in that team. That's where they had the 12th play touchdown drive. Their offensive line was just playing with a different edge and a different mentality. And that's when you saw camp people start to get going. And I know Coach Clark and those guys at App State, this thing called the middle eight, where it's the first or the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. They won that middle eight. They always detail that. And they got two touchdown drives between that time period. And that really shifted the game and the momentum for them. So obviously, the second half, they got things rolling. We talked about Cam Peoples and the importance of his health in this one. Don't think we could imagine it being this important because he just had an absolutely monster game. So great to see them get that run game going. Great to see App State healthy. And it's going to be a momentum year for them, it looks like. I think they're going to have to rely on their guys up front really pushing the pace and pushing the tempo of this game because it's good to see them rely on that run game, especially from the week they had last week. But you you obviously want to see that pass game get going as well. We started the season by talking about the running back room for App State. And you look at guys like, you know, Chop Harrington and Cameron Peoples, Nate Noel, and they've been banged up for most of this season. You finally see Peoples and Noel in the same game. It feels like forever since we've been able to say that. But I wanted to talk about Cam Peoples' performance. He goes out and runs for 167 yards and two scores after not playing the week before. Caden, is it safe to say that when Cam Peoples is healthy, that he is the best running back in the Sun Belt? I think it's safe to say when you have his O-line playing the way they did in that second half. I think the O-line play is not talked about enough when we talk about this conference and the running backs and the quarterbacks, but I think the combination of those two is by far the deadliest in the conference. When you have your O-line playing as well as the Bulls were up front and you have a dynamic runner like Cam who's willing to make people miss in space, make them pay for lowering his shoulder, I think it's very clear. Cam's a very different runner when he passes that 50-yard line. When Cam can see that end zone, he runs differently and he runs more aggressively. But I think in this game, He was running like that in his own territory as well. So obviously a great running back in this league if he is healthy. And I think it is safe to say that if he is healthy, he's the top guy. And then when you look at the guys behind him in that running back room, it's a scary sight for anyone, even a Georgia State team who has a very scary bunch over there as well, who also did some damage on the ground. But it was just overshadowed by the damage that Cam and those guys did at App. If you think back to some of the preview episodes that we did earlier in the week, uh, one of the things that we talked about was how good this Georgia State rushing attack is. And obviously they're the best in the conference. um, But, you know, App State still gives up 228 yards in this game, but it didn't feel like that many. And we talked on that preview episode about, hey, you can't give up 300, but maybe if it's closer to 200, it becomes a winnable game. You know, Darren Granger has a really good game in this one. He rushes for over 100 yards, played did some nice things on offense, uh, but it just, I think that the line for Georgia State to win a game is very fine when they're so one-dimensional in terms of running the football. 100%. The weather definitely didn't help in this one. I think it was one of those games where we saw both quarterbacks have a pretty poor performance throwing the ball. I think on those deep balls, it was kind of going to be one of those situations where it's either going to be a pass interference or an incomplete pass just because it's a cold game. It's hard to get some catches. He threw a deep ball to thrash. That was incomplete. Same with Chase with um, Christian Horn. They were both kind of drop balls, but I think you're 100% right. I think if Darren Granger isn't cooking for this offense, isn't getting the ball in the end zone and pushing the ball down the field, it's going to be tough for them to win no matter how good and aggressive and great their rushing attack is. So I'm looking for them going forward to try to maybe open things up a little bit and get their quick game going because the deep passing game is tough to get going. And when you have an offensive line, getting from that running, running, running mindset to the passing mindset and having to overprotect for a mobile quarterback, it does put quite a lot on their plate. So he was an effective runner, 
talked about it before this game a little bit with you. I don't know if it was on the pot or off, but the mobile quarterbacks do start to give App State problems a little bit just because of their defensive front. But it looked like in the second half, they made some great adjustment, adjustments. And I'm definitely worried about other teams playing Georgia State, making some of those similar adjustments and being able to limit them. And we might see more of that 0-4 team we saw in the beginning of the year if defenses start to take pages out of this App State book that they used in the second half because they caused turnovers, made things uncomfortable for him, and stopped the run very well in the second half. One quick last thought here about the offense. Uh, they they run the ball 64 times for 404 yards. Bryce throws it just 17 times in this game after that big performance uh, the week prior against Texas State. Caden, is that something sustainable, or do they need to find a better mix right there if App State wants to become highly successful? I think they kind of adopted the if it's not broke, don't fix it mindset in the second half. I mean, if you're running the ball that well, why even pass the ball, especially when it's harder to get a rhythm in the cold weather and you haven't really proven you could throw the deep ball very effectively in the game. So I think that was more of the issue with that. I don't think it was necessarily they couldn't throw the ball. I think it was just they didn't have to to win the ball game. So why do it? I did kind of worry about it a little bit, though, when they had the two minute drill. They were running the ball and taking some time off the clock before halftime. I was curious why they weren't throwing it in that situation. But I think Barbe and this offense, as the year goes along, they're going to kind of have a pulse on which hand is hot. Is the run game hot? Will we keep feeding Cam? Is the pass game hot? Do we get the get tight ends involved? Do we throw the ball to these receivers out wide? So I'll be interested to see it, but it's definitely not a worry for me. I think on the defensive side of the ball, we really saw App State take over that game, particularly in the second half, just 121 yards allowed. That linebacking core looked really good. Nick Hampton was getting to the quarterback. Andrew Parker kind of controlling the middle of the field. Logan Dublin had some big plays there. Caden, this was a defensive performance that App State, App State has desperately needed, and they finally got it in this game against Georgia State. Yeah, when you look at App State's defense, it's definitely been an up-and-down year for them, and I think it's mainly been because they haven't been really playing complementary ball at the same time. I think the secondary has been hung out to dry a couple times with the pass rush not getting there, and vice versa with the run game with the linebackers and the guys up front. So I think this was a great performance. App State got six sacks. Obviously, my guy Nick Hampton, who I picked as my defensive player of the year coming into the conference, got two of them forced to turnover. So when this defense is forcing turnovers, playing good defense on the back end and playing it to their full potential up front. They're a hard group to stop. It's just about putting it together consistently. So this is definitely their best game all around. And I look for them to keep doing more of this, but you never know what they've shown you. They've shown good performance and they've shown bad. So I'm very curious to see week in and week out, which defense shows up for this team. Well, App State's now four and three on the season, two and two in conference play. And just like that, the Mountaineers, I think with that win are putting themselves back in that title conversation, uh, particularly because of James Madison not being able to play in that conference championship game. So a little bit of a weird year in the East, but with a win, App State definitely right back in the conference title running. Um, Let's move on and talk about a game that, Caden, we're recording this episode at 11.05 at night. This is the latest episode that you and I have ever recorded, but the reason we did that is we wanted to be able to give our reaction on this episode to the game that recently just went final, and that was South Alabama versus Troy in the battle for the belt. Caden, this was a game that was going to decide the West in most people's opinions. Uh, and Troy comes down. They had been 4-0 and in the last four meetings between these two programs in the Battle of the Belt. It was not a pretty game if you like offense, but Troy wins this one 10-6. They're now 5-0 and uh, in you know over the last five games against South Alabama. Uh, this was a huge game for Troy. They're now bowl eligible in John Summerall's first season and you know, a lot of good things from South Alabama, but Troy's defense tonight, Caden, was just exceptional. 
It was a masterclass defense performance. I mean, they say defense wins championships, and that's kind of a, a sediment to a prolonged defensive performance throughout a season being good for a team. But the defense simply won them this game. I think if you look at Troy's offense, they ran the ball effectively, which is nice. And we talked about that 100-yard sweet spot all year, and they definitely got that, and they've been successful in getting wings in that. And they've ran the ball early well in this game. But you look at their defense, they gave their offense short fields. They'd had, they were put in a position where South Alabama was getting stopped in their own territory. They couldn't throw the ball very well because they were getting great pressure on Carter Bradley and the run game was getting stopped. And then every so often, every drive, it felt like they were getting a big play, whether it was a TFL, whether it was a sack. They were just playing a very opportunistic ball and they were flying around. They never let Carter Bradley get into rhythm. So the deep ball accuracy wasn't as on point. And there are obviously some questionable calls we can talk about as well. But Troy's defense did everything they could to win this team, this game, and it's all on them. They should be celebrated and worshipped for this one because this is the first time I think we've really seen truly a defense win a game in the Sun Bowl. They've, we've seen great defensive performances. Marshall had a great game against Notre Dame. Same with App State against AM and those upset victories. But six points, no touchdowns, that's huge. Not letting a team touch the paint is huge. And you just got to give it to this Troy defense led by Carlton Marshall, who was playing in front of his um, home city. And it, it looked like everybody on their defense was playing in their home city. They all had a different level of energy and a different just vibe and swag to them in this game. And you'd, you'd want your defense to play like this every single day of the week if you were a team in college football. Well, Troy's defense was definitely at home in the backfield of South Alabama all night long in this one. But one of the things that you brought up a moment ago was how not, how the defense kept giving Troy these short field opportunities. And, you know, despite those amount of opportunities, they just weren't able to take advantage of them. This is a Troy offense that did not look very good in this game. And again, more quarterback controversy. Jared Daigie gets the start. We saw that announced right before the game. He plays for three quarters. And then for some reason, uh, you know, he comes out, he, he loses his helmet for a play. You know, it's it's just really interesting. I think, Caden, the text you sent me in the middle of this game is what system is Troy running for quarterback? Because they it, it feels like when the going gets tougher, either quarterback, they just switch it up for one series. Uh, I have to believe that that is not sustainable the rest of the year. And at some point they are going to need to settle on a quarterback. Well, it's funny because we've been talking about how this isn't sustainable all year. But then when your defense plays this well, it becomes sustainable. It's obviously not the recipe you want to win games, but you could have me or you play quarterback out there today and we'd be just fine if South Alabama is not going to be able to score any points because Troy's defense is so good. So I think you look at their offensive system, it's just kind of stagnant to me. They obviously throw the ball first and they're doing that a lot. But it's just quick underneath routes. They don't have a very complicated offense, which does worry me. Obviously, South Alabama's defense played well in this game. But just compared to the firepower that you see on their offense, that's why Troy's defensive performance is just more impressive to me. They ran the ball well in the first half, like we talked about. But they don't have a red zone offense. They don't have a playbook that really opens up when they get close to the end zone. They rely on their kicker, Brooks Buse, a lot, who came up big for them in this game. But the quarterback position is kind of stagnant for them. They had a turnover by Yam Banks on an interception for South Alabama, which was a huge play for them. And that could have happened a lot more, I think, if they tried to throw the ball downfield more because both of these quarterbacks just don't necessarily look comfortable throwing the ball downfield. Tess Johnson's a great player for them. They get him the ball underneath and he makes a lot of things happen with Yak. And their most explosive play of the night was a 36-yard crafty play to him. But those are just crafty trick plays. If you're Troy's offense, you definitely have a lot to be worried about, but it is hard to worry about when you have such a good defense. Caden, we were on this very early on in this podcast. You can go back and listen about four weeks ago. We noticed a trend with Troy and that was we had talked, we'd spent the whole beginning of this season talking about Troy needing to establish the running game. And then about five games ago, they ran for a hundred yards for the first time. They got the win in that. It was right after that App State game. And we said, hmm, I wonder if that's going to be something to pay attention to the rest of the year. 
Well, Caden, I think we hit that one right on the head because since then, this Troy team, they have rushed for 100 yards in five straight games. And during that stretch, Caden, what's their record? 5-0. and oh. Yeah, and so this, you know, they have been able to establish the running game. It has given themselves the ability to have some margin for error with this quarterback battle. If if this had been early on in the season and the running game wasn't going and you had this performance out of the quarterbacks for Troy, this would not have been a game that they won. So kudos to them for getting this running game established. Billingsley rushes for 86 tonight. They run for 128 as a team, which was only seven yards off their season high of 135 against Western Kentucky. And that's another thing about it. We talked about that sweet spot and that number to achieve, and they've been barely getting it, and they've usually been getting it at the end of games when they're up maybe a little bit and they have to run the ball up. But they came out in this one and ran the ball very effectively. But it's not the most impressive thing. These are two big running backs. They're hard to tackle, and they just fall forward. They're very good at falling forward and getting the extra two, three, four yards to set them up for a third and short, a second and manageable. And the longest run for Billingsley was 11 yards. The longest one for Vidal was 16 yards. That's it. They didn't have super explosive run plays, but they just kept the chains moving and kept the offense going and on the field long enough to give their defense a breather to play lights out. So I think their formula is very simple. They run the ball effectively. They get short chunk plays. They run little quick mesh routes and the occasional shot over the top to Tez Johnson. And they don't have to really ask their quarterback to do much. And they don't put a ton on their play. And they don't really expect to score that many points because their defense is so well. It's very simple, very tried and true. But when your defense is that good, it works. I mean, it's crazy to think, though, that for as much love as we've given the Troy defense to start this episode, Caden, when you look at the South Alabama defense, they had a really good game as well. Again, their offense let them down in times. I thought the biggest, the most interesting stat in this game, Troy finishes one for 12 on third downs. As a guy who's played on defense, what does that tell you, Caden? I mean, getting off the field is the most important thing for sure. I think when you're a defense and you get off the field, it's the best feeling in the world, especially after a long drive and you get the ball back to your offense. But I think the difference between these two off defensive performances, like I said before, first of all, we're accustomed to South Alabama. Carter Bradley last week breaks the record, 420 yards, 100-yard receivers left and right, and then they come in this one and throw up a stinker, and Troy just does what they do on the defensive side of the ball. Troy's offense hasn't really produced that much this year. We're not really surprised. If we would have came into this game and said Troy's offense only scored 10 points, we'd be super surprised. And no, they've had 14, 20, 17-point scoring outings all year. But I think the difference was Troy's defense was more effective early in drives. And when they stopped Carter Bradley and they got him behind the chains and on their side of the field, it gave Troy's offense better field position to the point where no matter how good South Alabama's defense plays, they're, gonna, they're in field goal range. They're, they're at the 50-yard line. There's just a better likelihood of your offense getting a scoring drive going the closer you start to your end zone. It's just simple math. So I think that was the difference in this game. Because Troy was that much better, they played elite, elite defense to where you can own field position and you own the clock and you can help your offense so much with your defense. That was the real difference. South Alabama played a great game, caused a turnover, like I said before, but they just got out defense to the nth degree, like a, a degree we don't see very often. So they shouldn't be feeling bad about this one, but they just the defense just won this game, simple and plain. I would say I would have loved to have seen this game with a, a fully healthy LaDamian Webb. I think he's a huge difference maker for South Alabama in that running game. He rushes it eight times for 12 yards. Uh, he was in there multiple times in this game, just didn't look overly comfortable and healthy. So I think that certainly could have been a difference maker. Caden, I think it was funny too on when we previewed this game, we talked about both kickers and their importance to this game. And, you know, we don't talk about a lot of kickers, but Diego Guajardo, he hit two big field goals in this game and Brooks Buse hit his longest of the season. It was the longest field goals he's hit in a game since high school. The kickers were nails in this game. And I think that that's a that's a plus for two teams that have postseason aspirations. 
hundred percent. I don't know if I said it on or off air this podcast, but Brooks Buse is one of the most, if not one of the best players on the Detroit team, just because of their style of play. They don't do well at scoring in the red zone. So as a result, you need a good kicker. And even when they weren't in the red zone or the 51 yard field goal, that's crazy for college. That's crazy for the NFL. No one's really super surprised when you miss those, but that was a huge moment for him, especially in the time of the game where there was an opportunity to give South Alabama the ball back with a lot of time with good field position if he didn't make that. So that was a huge make by him, but we'll talk about it a little bit more too. A couple things are very important, very magnified when you have defensive games like this. It's your special teams, your kicking game especially. It's the refs and some of the penalties that get called in this game. And that's it. It's the penalties in your kicking game and your referees. Like Those are things that come up. So you see some of the penalties that got called in this game on South Alabama, on Troy. Costly ones, huge ones. Ones that take you out of touchdown range, take you out of being on the, the goal line if you're South Alabama two different times. So I think those are, those are things that are just magnified. So when you look at Troy and their style of play, their kicker is going to get magnified if they continue to play defensive battle like, battles like this. Well, Caden, let's finish off talking about this game by just talking about the implications of this game. Troy and South Alabama, we knew going into this game that this could very easily decide the West. And now Troy has that leg up. They would hold the tiebreaker and Kane, you and I, right before we jumped on this episode, we were quickly looking at the schedules for both programs, and it definitely feels like Troy has the easier road ahead than South Alabama. I mean, there's going to be some tough games for the Jags against Georgia Southern. I think Southern Miss now is suddenly a game that could become very interesting because we've said that we think they could play spoiler. They're going to play Old Dominion. Meanwhile, Troy, it feels like a bit of a cakewalk here, and this game might have just decided the West in the Sun Belt. 100%. I mean, when you look at the rest of Troy's schedule, especially coming off of five straight wins, it's very hard to pick against them going forward. I think they've clearly proven that they have the best defense in the conference now after this performance. And then you look at them having to play ULL, ULM, and Arc State. These are teams we regularly talk about on the podcast and don't have 100% confidence if we talk about a meter of them week to week compared to Troy. So I think it does look like a little bit of a cakewalk for them. And I think something that we maybe didn't talk about enough we talked about a little bit. I know I touched on it coming into the season was Troy's move to the West. This Troy team is used to playing App State. They're used to playing Coastal. They're used to playing these big dogs from the Georgia teams in the East. And now they're in the West and they're like, oh, okay, like we can run stuff over here. It's very much looking like they're comfortable in this Western side because they've built up that callus and those bruises from playing on the East. So I think that might be a part of the reason too, if we see this team as the West representative to look at as far as why they were so successful this year. Hey, great season so far for Troy and more fun to come. They are bowl eligible in the first season under John Summerall. We've talked to Austin Stidham on this podcast. We're hoping to talk to Carlton Marshall before uh, he gets this record in the next couple of weeks uh, in terms of tackles after today's game. He's now uh 33 tackles away from becoming or tying for the all-time lead in Division I history. So we'll definitely try to get him on. But those guys talked about coming back and wanting to leave a legacy, returning Troy to where they wanted it to be. They're certainly walking the walk, doing the talk so far. So it's been fun to see Troy and definitely we'll be following along the rest of the season. Let's move on, though, to the kind of the second segment of this episode, Caden, and that's previewing some of the games that are still to happen. We've got five good games this weekend, and Caden, we'll go ahead and start with the, the first game um, that's going to be played on Saturday. It's at 12 p.m. between ULM and Army. It's the only non-conference game in Week 8. Uh, I don't know if you can say it's a non-conference game because, quite frankly, I, I feel like <laughs> Army should be an honorable mention Sunbelt school. They're going to play four programs in the Sunbelt this year, so a majority of their schedule has been Sunbelt schools. Maybe in a future round of expansion, we'll bring the state of New York into the Sunbelt, at least on an honorary <laughs> basis, but... Um, ULM is 0-1 all-time versus this Army squad, losing 37-7 to during the COVID season back in 2020. 
Um, you know, I wanted to start by just talking about Kansas State transfer Tyrone Howell. He had a huge performance last week, went for a career-high nine catches, 244 yards, three touchdowns, and ULM's loss to South Alabama. Four touchdowns in his last three games. You really have to like what you're seeing from Tyron Howell. And really, I feel like this ULM offense is a whole right now. 100%. And I think that's really what's been missing from teams like ULM that we've seen kind of at the bottom of the conference the past couple of years is an explosive playmaker out wide. And Howell's definitely been providing that in his last couple of games. He obviously caught South Alabama slipping a little bit towards the end of the game and got off on a big play. But explosive plays are explosive plays and they're big swing things that are important for teams like ULM. And I think it's really helping instill confidence in Chandler Rogers as well. We've been talking about how well he's been playing so far. And Chandler Rogers is a quarterback in this league where didn't really expect much of him coming into this season. But then as he starts playing and starts getting more and more comfortable, it's weapons like Howell that make him more comfortable. But he's coming off of a four-touchdown performance and then a two-touchdown no-interception performance against Coastal Carolina. Obviously, both in losses. But if your quarterback's completing balls at 74% and 90% in his last two games, you have to feel confident about him going forward and hoping that just in the next couple of weeks you can catch a team slipping and maybe just have enough of a defensive effort, enough of more pieces surrounding him playing a little bit better and elevating their game to where he's playing winning football because he's playing winning football it's just not showing in the box score so you have to love what you're seeing so far right now out of Chandler Rogers and Howell yeah Rogers clearly the guy right now for ULM and for the first time in a long time they have a very passable quarterback maybe an elite quarterback he's we've seen him outplay Grayson McCall in games this year so you have to like that if you're ULM Caden I think the biggest the biggest thing to note in this game and I feel like where this game is going to be decided ULM comes in giving up just 150 yards per game on the ground. Army, we know it, triple option, the service academies. uh, Army's averaging 316 yards per game. ULM can't give up 316. They're going to give up more than 150. You kind of feel like that sweet spot again is like 200, 225. But I think that's going to be something to watch in this game if ULM wants to knock off Army. Yeah, ULM's best like run-stopping performances this year were against Arc State and against Nickel State, which aren't really impressive because those are teams that aren't really known for running the ball and just are lesser competition. So they're definitely going to have their work cut out a lot more for them going against this Army team who's been running the ball very effectively. If you actually look at their numbers the past couple years, they obviously are top five in the nation every single year rushing the ball, but they're actually running the ball a lot more. Some of those stats might be padded because of some of the teams they've played, but I think On the other side of the ball, I think you have to look at ULM. Can they effectively run the ball? Because I think that's one of the ways and formulas to beating an Army team like this. They only had 67 yards on the ground last week, which is very disappointing. But Colgate ran for 193 on Army last week. And I think that really helped them control the time of possession and split the time of possession with Army. And playing a team like this, the possession is going to be a big factor. And ULM is going to have to make the most of however much time they have the ball because the possession time that's going to be dominated by Army. So I'm looking for their own run game to maybe be another way to counteract Army's run game as well. Yeah, I think ULM, they've also got to get some big plays through the air in this game. And this is a ULM team they've thrown for 650 yards in their last two games. Um, They had thrown for just 678 in their previous four games. So that offense starting to play a lot better. Certainly, this is going to be an interesting game. And uh, we will give you our picks uh, at the end of the episode for this one. Let's move on. uh, The next game up on uh, the docket for today's episode, James Madison versus Marshall. This one's going to air on ESPN Plus at 3.30 on Saturday. and. Caden, I thought this was interesting. This is actually the first meeting between the programs since 1994. There were two previous meetings. Here's why I love this. The last time these two teams played was December 3rd, 1994. Caden, I'm not even going to try to put you on the spot here, but I would say, (laughs) do you know what happened seven days after that? Couldn't tell you, man. I'm not much of a historian. Noah Freire was born. (laughs) 
Oh man, happy birthday. Happy yeah, anniversary. So <laughs> this I mean, this game, you know, it was it was almost 28 years ago the last two times these programs uh played. Um, you know, JMU is going to be playing in front of a, a sellout crowd, another sellout crowd up there. Um, and they're coming off of their first regular season loss in their last 12 games when they lost to Georgia Southern. So certainly you have to imagine uh, this is going to be a James Madison team that is going to try to rebound here. And Caden, I think I really like the matchup for the Dukes against this Marshall team that hasn't shown much ability to create a lot of offense lately. Yeah, I'd honestly be very scared to play this JMU team. Just a team cut from a cloth where they have championship culture and they're expected to win. Losing and then playing a team like that after is kind of scary. I definitely expect this JMU team to come out after a loss just with their hair on fire, especially with the offense that kind of has been calling card. Todd Santeo is the man. We can score a bunch of points. And they simply just got outscored. I don't think they got outplayed necessarily. They just got outscored last week to Georgia Southern. They created some turnovers against them and their defensive backs kind of just outplayed the receiving core and didn't have enough time to win that game. So definitely interested to see this offense probably try to come out, probably try to prove something to the conference and come out swinging in this one. But you know me, no, I'm a defensive guy. And this game features two of the top defenses in the conference, literally the two teams that hold the teams to the least amount of yards. The only two teams in the conference holding teams to under 300 yards per game. So I think that might be able to help Marshall on this a little bit. We talked about it night and day on this podcast. Their offense is just a little bit limited, the quarterback position, and their run game is obviously what they lean on. Yeah, let's talk about that quarterback position just a little bit here for Marshall. And I think, Caden, the question I wanted to pose to you is, what does Marshall need from that quarterback position right now? Obviously, Columbia gets replaced by Fancher last week, but Columbia looks set to start. He's back at the top of that depth chart, so I would expect to see him. But what does Marshall need from that quarterback position in this game? I'm really glad you asked me this because I talked about or I thought about this a lot coming into this one. I think it's a very similar issue that we were talking about with ULL earlier in the year when they were going between Fields and Wooldridge. I think you kind of, when you're not a well, fully rounded team, 100% three-dimensional, have everything clicking in your pass game, your run game, your defense is playing phenomenal, your special teams. You have to find the quarterback that fits your team the best. And I just don't know right now if Columbia's the answer. We saw him in his last game. He had issues throwing the ball, but then on top of that, they had issues protecting him. I've never seen an O-line like Marshall's that can run block so well, but have so many issues protecting the quarterback. I mean, he's scared for his life back there. He's Him and Blackman are the two most sacked quarterbacks in the conference right now. So you can give a knock to Columbia for not playing very well, and he is not throwing the ball well, but he's also not getting protected. So I think with both of those things combined in your run game being what you lean on, I think you got to go with Cam Fancher. He has a running ability. He's a dual threat guy. He came in for Columbia last game because he got hurt, but then they ended up leaving him in there just because he was playing more effectively because he was using his legs a little bit more and there was less of a task on him. And you could tell the defense was kind of leaning forward a little bit, having to defend him in the run game. Because when you have him and Laybourne back there, you pretty much have two running backs. So you have to worry about that. So I think they should lean on that as being their offense and let him just take his shots whenever they choose to throw the ball. It's not obviously what you want to do. If you're a coordinator and you're stubborn, you want to run your offense. Sometimes you have to take a step back and look at your personnel and what you have. And I think it's a perfect time for Marshall to do it right now with them sitting at three and three. Hey, running will be tough in this game. JMU comes in giving up 37 yards per game on the ground. The Thundering Herd come in giving up 77 yards per game. They're the top two teams in the conference in terms of that. Those are actually the top two teams in the country in terms of stopping the opponent's runs. Um, JMU, though, they come in, Caden, and they are averaging 212 yards per game on the ground. The Herd come in rushing for 210 yards per game. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see if both of these top flight rushing defenses, they're going to be facing their toughest challenge, which one will have the best game. 
Yeah, it's definitely good for Marshall that they had some rest from that weekday game coming into this one because it's going to be a very similar game from last week. It's going to be a lot of upfront downhill smash mouth running the football, but the only difference is that JMU is just a little bit more dynamic. And I'm not going to say a little bit more, a lot more dynamic throwing the ball and their quarterback is just more dynamic. So I think just because of that, you have to expect to see a better game not only on the ground, but overall for JMU, just simply because you have more things to worry about with that offense. I think if you look at JMU from last week, they lost because of the explosive air attack on the other side of the ball. Marshall simply does not have that. That's not going to hurt this team. But thankfully for Marshall, they do have a good secondary, and I think they will be able to give maybe a problem here or there to JMU's passing attack. But it's going to be a lot on the guys up front to stop the run and then maybe be opportunistic like Georgia Southern was last week. Maybe force Todd to have a turnover here. Maybe just some little things to get the moment, the momentum going. But I think JMU being as well-rounded as they are does help them versus being a Marshall team that's stubborn running the ball versus dynamic running the ball that JMU does. Yeah, no, I think those are some great points. Another player that I'd like to see have a big game in this one is Chris Thornton, who was recently named to the Blitnikoff watch list. Katie's got 642 yards and five touchdowns uh, this season. He's been outstanding. The reason I would like to see him have a big game is because we had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and he was sitting at five touchdowns and he's yet to have one since then. So hopefully there's no conversation that gets started about a Frarian Smith podcast jinx here. But I think this is a game that's set up for Chris Thornton to have a big game. Um, and so I think that they're going to throw him the ball a lot. I think there's definitely going to be some openings for Thornton to have a big game. Yeah, we cannot afford to have any curses of any of our athletes that we have appear on these pods because or else we're going to have some very angry head coaches. But yeah, you look at Chris Thornton, he had a couple games here and there where he hasn't had a high volume catching days. You look at his Texas State game, really had four catches, the App State game being his glaringly worse with one catch. But last couple of weeks, you see a little bit more volume, five catches last week, nine before that. And I think it's interesting for them because they don't necessarily have to lean on Chris Thornton. They have other weapons they can rely on, and Todd's very good at spreading the wealth. But I think if they want to, they can. So I think it's going to be more of a thing between him and Todd. It's like, hey, man, I saw you're on the watch list this week. You're trying to trying to pick up that stock. Maybe you're trying to get your get your ratings up a little bit as far as you on this watch list. So I think for JMU, they're kind of a, have a spoil with their riches out wide, and that's kind of been why we've seen Chris Thornton not getting those those touchdown catches. But I think Todd's going to make sure in this one that he is taken care of, especially against a Marshall team that's been used to playing the run in their last game and playing a quarterback like Woldridge and a receiving core that's not nearly as dynamic as this JMU one they're about to see. Okay, and I think this is about to become your favorite part of the episode right here, and that's because we're going to talk about the secondaries really quickly for both teams. JMU secondary, they need to come in. They need to bounce back. They gave a, a program record 578 yards last week. Meanwhile, this is a Marshall team, Caden, that you have to imagine they need to force interceptions in this game. They come in tied for third in the Sun Belt with eight INTs on the year. They've had an INT in four of six games. Uh, suddenly, Todd Centeno looks like a player that can be intercepted after the three last week. He hadn't; he'd only thrown one all year long. Uh, you have you have to imagine that the secondaries are going to play a role, a big role in this game. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, you know, I love secondary talk. I think Todd didn't really necessarily look bad in their last game with his turnovers. I think he just looked human. I think the first one was one that just got jumped. It was a great play by the DB on Georgia Southern. And then at the end of the game, he was trying to make some things happen and threw a turnover on the last drive of the game. And then the other one was a screen pass that got tapped up in the air by a defensive lineman. Just really great plays by Georgia Southern. So I think if you look on the other side of the ball, though, their secondary just got outplayed. JMU secondary is a good unit and they put a lot of pressure on those guys because they do like to put pressure up front. So they are in a lot of man situations, but it was pretty plain and simple. And it was very clear that at home, those Georgia Southern receivers just play with a different swag and energy. And they felt like they were the best skill players on the field. I mean, you look at the highlights of the game, if you haven't seen them, 
it's just Georgia Southern guys going up and catching balls on these guys. It's really just 50-50 contested catches. Vantrese being very confident in his arm and his receiver. So I think that's what hurt James Madison's secondary. But if you look at Marshall's secondary, what hurt them against ULL was just discipline. They have a good, talented unit for sure. I think they have some of the best safeties and corners in this conference, but they didn't really make it very hard on Wooldridge. He was making very easy passes to open receivers, look like busts in coverage. So I think if you look at Marshall's secondary in this one, look for them to play a tighter game. Don't bust coverage. Just be a play play assignment football. And then you look at the JMU side, just compete. Have some swagger to you. Don't let those 50-50 balls get to you. You're going to win some plays. You're going to lose some plays. But just play confidently and play like you're the best secondary on the field, and you'll be just fine. Hey, that one's going to be a lot of fun to watch, so definitely be tuned in. A big game up in Harrisonburg this weekend. Let's move on to Caden. I think what would have probably been our game of the week in the Sun Belt had it not been for South Alabama and Troy on Thursday night, and that's Old Dominion versus Georgia Southern. These two teams uh, come in as two of the biggest surprises on the year. ODU actually currently leading the Sunbelt East Division after being picked to finish last in that division this season. Both teams come in undefeated, or uh, both teams beat undefeated teams um, a week ago in Old Dominion taking down Coastal, Georgia Southern taking down JMU. Um, You know, I think the biggest question mark for me going into this is, what type of performance does Georgia Southern need from Kyle Van Treese in this game? And what can he do for an encore after that program record 578 yards last week against James Madison? Yeah, you you know me. I'm very excited. I've been talking about this game all week. I think this is the two hottest teams in the conference right now. If we're just looking at stock, they both clearly slayed the undefeated Giants in this conference and played very well. And I think this is going to be a very much proving ground game where it's like, okay, who's who's the most legit? Because once anytime you beat an undefeated team, anytime you get a little bit of an upset, it's like, okay, which team was that kind of just a flash in the pan for? Who is who and who is going to be? okay, this is actually what we do for the rest of the year because we saw great offensive offensive performances from both guys. But when you look at Kyle Van Treese, I think it really just comes down to the turnovers. I think it's very clear he's going to throw the ball a ton. I mean, he leads the nation in pass attempts right now. But then can you limit the turnovers? That's really why they lost the game against Georgia State was because they had a couple interceptions and they had the ball out of his hands and were putting their defense, which isn't the strongest unit in the conference right now in bad position. So I think sky's the limit for this Georgia Southern team if they don't turn the ball over. But if we can see the ODU defense who has proven to be a great unit, especially up front. We can see them get some pressure, make them uncomfortable and get some turnovers, especially with the offense playing the way they did last week. I think this will be a very, very interesting game. Hey, we're going to get to that offensive line in just a moment, but I want to talk about Hayden Wolf's season so far. He's not been flashy, but he's been consistent. 11 touchdowns to just two interceptions. He's now throwing multiple touchdowns in each of the team's last five games. I like what I'm seeing out of Hayden Wolf. He's not trying to play bigger than himself right now. And he's definitely been a very consistent piece all year long for Old Dominion. Yeah, for me, I kind of looked at him going to the season as more of a game manager, especially when you looked at the games they played early on. But then now you're seeing what kind of quarterback he can be if he has the weapons around him elevating their game. You saw how well they ran the ball last week. And that helped him out a ton. And even on top of that, they used quarterback DJ Mack a little bit to take some pressure off of Wolf. But he was running the ball himself, had a throwing touchdown and a running touchdown. I think that offense just looked revamped last week. If you look at what they did against Coastal, I'm really excited and curious to see if they can do that again because it looked like they were really just playing a completely different brand of football. I love what they did in the running game. Ben Watson, or Blake Watson, sorry, played a great game running the ball. They created better opportunities in running lanes for him, but on top of that, he was just running with a different swagger. He got the ball to his big target, Ali Jennings, who's playing great right now. So I think with Hayden Wolf right now, he's going to be better the better the guys around him are playing, and I'm really looking forward to seeing them hopefully try to match that and do what they did last week again. 
I need a quick answer here. Blake Watson rushes for a program record 259 yards last week. Caden, are you buying or selling Blake Watson the rest of the way in terms of after that performance? Well, I think this is definitely a great week for it because Georgia Southern's the worst team at defending the run. They're giving up 221 yards a game. So I think even if he does have another great performance this week, I think we might still be up in conversation as far as buying or selling it. Right now, I'm going to be, I don't want to be in the middle and be kind of neutral about it, but I'm going to buy it for now. I think what they did against Coastal, obviously Coastal have had their up and downs this year, but I think anything better than what they had going on at the beginning of the season is going to be better than, or anything they had going on at the, that's better at the beginning of the season is is perfect for them. As long as they're not the worst rushing team in the conference, they've shown that they can be very well. So I'm excited to watch him try to hopefully run the ball again. And I think this coaching staff has kind of figured some things out as far as how they can be successful in the run game. Hey, if you're a person that likes seeing very talented wide receivers, this game is going to give you everything that you want to see. You're going to see three of the top 10 receivers in the Sun Belt, Caleb Hood, Derwin Burgess and Ollie Jennings all going to play in this game. Ollie Jennings having one of the best statistical seasons that we've seen from a Sunbelt wide receiver in a while. Uh, Caden, I think the wide receivers are going to play a big role in this game. And if that happens, this could be a lot of fun. 100%. It's definitely going to be a huge one, especially for Ollie Jennings. I think the big question mark with him coming into this one is, can they give the ball to him even more? He's second in the nation right now in receiving yards. And I think compared to the rest of that group, he has way less catches. He's the only one in the top 10 that's under 40 catches right now. Some of these guys have 60 catches. So I'm going to be very curious to see if ODU can get him the ball a lot more. And it's going to be a great opportunity for it because you know Kyle Vietrice is going to get the ball to his guys as much as he can. He's going to be throwing the ball left and right almost every down. So I think what not a better opportunity for ODU to feed this guy. I get that he's a big play receiver and you want to give him his big play shots, but maybe get them him the ball a little bit more in this game. I think if they don't turn the ball over on Georgia Southern's offense, they're going to have a lot more of an opportunity to push the tempo of this game. And hopefully they can match it again on ODU's side with their run game. But it'd be great to see them open it up more in the pass game, especially with Ali Jennings. Caden, there's two areas of this game that I think are going to decide this game. And the first is going to be the offensive line. The second will be the secondary, which we'll get to in a second. But these offensive lines need to keep doing what they've been doing, in particular for Georgia Southern. They're going to be really tested in this game on the offensive line. Uh, they've given up just two sacks all season, but they're actually going to be facing an ODU team that leads the country in sacks per game at a little over four and is third in total sacks with 25. Denzel Lowry, Ryan Henry, each with four sacks apiece. This O-line is going to get tested for the second week in a row. I definitely think this is one of the most exciting, unexciting matchups of the week. And I think obviously people don't watch football games for the offensive versus defensive line matchup. But look, this ODU defensive line is the most exciting and best group in the conference. And then you can say the same thing about this Georgia Southern group. I actually did some research for you. I know you're the one usually bringing the stats on here, Noah, but I actually brought some of my own. So Kyle Van Treese right now, he leads the country in pass attempts. He has 347. He's crushing everybody and he's only been sacked twice. If you go down the pass attempts list in the country, you will not find another quarterback that's been sacked equal or less to him until you get to Bo Nix on Oregon, who's been sacked one time. And he sits at 61 and he has 186 pass attempts. That just shows you how good this offensive line for Georgia Southern has been. He almost dropped back and thrown the ball twice as much as that guy. And he's only been it's the only guy in the nation that's been sacked less than him. So this offensive line has been playing amazing, especially given how much they put on Kyle Van Treese's plate to throw the ball. So I'm very excited to watch them keep protecting this guy and let him cook, really. Hey, I'm telling you, it's a dangerous place to be when you start to go down the rabbit hole on some of those statistics, but a great nugget right there. I appreciate you adding it in. The last thing in this matchup, Caden, this is going to be a big secondary battle. These two teams have combined for 15 interceptions forced this year. ODU comes in having forced 
forced multiple turnovers in four games. Georgia Southern coming off of that season-high three interceptions versus JMU. In a game where I think we're going to see some offense, Caden, I think it's going to come down to which secondary can force turnovers. I definitely agree with you. These are obviously two defensive units that aren't the strongest in the conference. If you literally look at total yards per game, they both give up the most. And then if you look at passing, Old Dominion gives up the most. So they're definitely going to have their work cut out for them. But the thing about Old Dominion is even though they do give up a lot of yards in the past game and they do give up a lot of yards in general, their memo has been bend, don't break because they're at the bottom of the conference as far as yardage goes. But they hold up as far as points go. They've only given up 26 points per game, which should be a lot worse compared to how many yards per game they give up. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch them have to play in this one because they obviously have played well in the back end, but I don't think they've been challenged quite like they have been playing a team like Georgia Southern this weekend. For Georgia Southern, it's going to be interesting too because obviously I think a lot of their defensive struggles, especially in the secondary, have been because of the offense they play. They're put a lot on their plate naturally just because teams have to throw the ball to keep up with Southern. So they're a little bit more used to it and cut out for it as far as the style of play that's going to be in this game. But I think ODU is a little bit more used to it as far as playing big and big games and getting the stops when it matters. So it's definitely going to be huge in the secondary for this game for both teams. Yeah, that one's going to be, this game is going to be a lot of fun. You mentioned it briefly there at the end. Old Dominion comes in with the worst passing defense in the Sun Belt. We saw what uh, Kyle Van Trees did to one of the best passing defenses in the Sun Belt last week. So we'll see what happens there. Georgia Southern, also not a very good uh, team in terms of keeping yards down through the air. They're 11th in the conference. Well, let's move on to a game, Caden, that I think has the opportunity to create a lot of excitement late in the day on Saturday. That's Louisiana versus Arkansas State. This game is going to be at 5 p.m. on ESPN+. It's actually the 51st all-time meeting between the two programs. This is a series that began all the way back in 1953, well before you and I were even thought of. But Louisiana has won the last four meetings in this game. And uh, Caden, last year, this game was extremely tight. Louisiana winning 28-27 to at Cajun Field. If they had lost this game, we might be talking about Caden Smith being a Sunbelt champion last year instead of Louisiana. Had to throw that in there. But this is <laughs> an interesting game because I feel like Louisiana is starting to figure some things out. Meanwhile, it feels like Arkansas State, the only thing they're really figuring out right now is how to consistently lose football games. Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I think you look at ULL coming into this one. They get some extra rest because of that weekday game against Marshall, and I think they needed it because, again, that was another physical battle. But I think they're coming off of that little break, finally finding their guy at quarterback in Woldridge. I think he's played well in that game. He played his best game of the season, and I think they kind of find out how he fits in with this offense and how they can really make things work. They're finding out their formula, like we talk about, of how to win games. And you look at a team like them with the championship pedigree. You have to be excited about them kind of figuring stuff out. They struggled in the beginning of the year between both quarterbacks not being able to run the ball well but looking like they're turning the corner and I think they're going to be a dangerous team if they come into this one revamped and knowing themselves a little bit more versus an Arkansas State team who <laughs> I don't think they know what they have going on over there at all I mean they gave up that huge lead last week and had one of the more embarrassing losses in the Sunbelt Conference that we've seen this year yeah I think that's those are both definitely the case I mean this is a Louisiana team that if they can play well at the end of the year I definitely think they can be a spoiler I mean they're going to play this Troy team that just beat South Alabama uh, coming up uh, very shortly and you know they could be a spoiler here I think that there is definitely a bowl game in the future for Louisiana if they can really figure some things out here um, you know a couple of things to note obviously you mentioned uh, kind of establishing that quarterback in this game I think that's been huge for Louisiana Woldridge is going to go again I was looking at the depth chart and Chandler Fields wasn't on the depth chart again this week so something interesting to note there but it does feel like Woldridge is the guy the rest of the way Another big injury piece here, and that was Chris Smith. He didn't get to play 
um, in the team's last game. And we know Chris Smith is a difference maker at running back. I did notice that he is questionable. Kane, when Chris Smith is on the field, why is he such a difference maker for Louisiana in that running game? Well, I think it's interesting. Not used to seeing it at all. And I think that was a big problem and a wrinkle that was thrown into their struggles offensively in the beginning of the season is they weren't running the ball well. But then you saw Chris Smith against South Alabama had his best game of the year at 108 yards on the ground. He's just a big physical back that if he has the hole, if he has the leverage and the proper technique, he's going to make the right move because he's been playing in the system for so long. So he's their most veteran back. I think you saw some of those veteran mistakes that they had running the ball when they rotated some other backs in. So you're definitely hoping to get him in, especially coming off of his best game of the conference and especially going up against the Arkansas State team who's not really good at stopping the run. It's going to be an interesting game in this one. Certainly one of, you know, I think multiple games on Saturdays that or this Saturday, Caden, that you and I are going to struggle with picking. I feel like at some point with our picks this week, it might just be throw your hands up in the air and hope to get lucky. Uh, Definitely not one of those this weeks that I would encourage you spending a lot of money on in terms of betting because these games could go either way. But uh, we'll see how that one goes. Let's move on. Texas State versus Southern Miss and Caden. To me, this is a really good game. I think it's not going to get much billing because neither team has a particularly great record. But you combine that and also the fact that Texas State is playing this game at home. And this one might be fun. Texas State, they come in undefeated at home this year, 3-0. and uh, This is actually the third meeting between these two programs, but the first since 2015. Caden, the last time these two teams played, it was a combined 106 points that were put on the scoreboard. USM won that game 56-50. to I doubt we're going to see those types of score lines in this game, but it should be fun nonetheless. The biggest thing in this game that I find interesting, Caden, and that's the home and road splits right now for Texas State. They come into this game averaging 37 points per game at home. They're 3-0 and at home, as we mentioned. Meanwhile, you look at them on the road, they pick up just 12 points per game, and they're 0-4 on the road. Their scoring margin at home is plus 25. Their scoring margin on the road is minus 22. Kane, you've been a college football player. Is there anything that can explain the, you know, the home cooking versus just really being bad on the road this year? I want to attribute it to the weather in Texas so bad because it's hot there. It's the only game this weekend that's probably going to touch 80 degrees. And that's one of the team only teams in the Sun Bowl that plays in that heat. But I think if you look at them right now, they're just playing with a better home environment. You saw them against App State. They were fight, feeding off of the crowd a little bit. They moved a little bit differently. They had the all blacks on that uniform. So you have to love that this game for Texas State is in Bobcat Stadium because they have been playing there well there as of late. But then you look at Southern Mississippi the ball, just as important as the game is at home for Texas State, and they're doing good things right now. They've been pretty competitive and more competitive they've been in the last couple of years. Southern Miss coming off a comeback victory that was just super interesting. They were down 19-7. to They put Jake Lang in for Zach Wilkie. He wins the game, not necessarily does any, doesn't do anything necessarily special, but he wins the game for them. And then you look at head coach right now, has kind of been keeping his cards close, hasn't really revealed, revealed who's going to be the starter for this game. So I'm interested to see who Will Hall starts for this game, especially with it being on the road against a Texas State team who's kind of showed some good promise right now. It kind of looks like a must-win-ish game for them, an important game for them, and a very winnable one for them. So I'm very curious to see who they go with at the starting quarterback position for this one. Yeah, I mean, if you're Texas State, you win this game, suddenly there is a, a, a spitting chance that maybe Texas State gets into a bowl game if they can play well down the stretch. Um, you know, Lane Hatcher has been excellent so far over the last couple of games. He's completed 47 passes in the last two games, thrown for 488 yards and three touchdowns. Um, that has been a large part of kind of this resurgence for this Texas State team here in the middle of the season. Yeah, I've low-key always been a Hatcher believer. He definitely proved me right against Ab State, but I just like his style of play. He's a winner. He has a little bit of an edge to him. He's been 
kind of toning it down on the turnovers a little bit, which I think is going to be huge for him. The less he turns the ball over, I think the better this team's going to be. But I think this team does feel good going into battle with him. I think they're more confident with him, and I'm really excited to watch him get after it because we've seen him play in some games that unfortunately haven't been the most winnable for them. I mean, the Troy team, their, their close game against Troy looks even better now just because of Troy's win recently. I mean, they only lose 17-14 to 14 to Troy, and they obviously beat App State. And I think Lane Hatcher now is kind of licking his chops. Okay, finally we can play a team that's more a little bit on our level in the Sunbelt Conference. I can really cook and make some things happen. So I'm super excited to watch him happen, especially if he's going head-to-head with who knows what quarterback, a freshman quarterback, an inexperienced quarterback. He's definitely going to be, no matter who starts, the more experienced quarterback in this game. And I think there's going to be a great opportunity to him for him to maybe take his game to another level. Hey, the one thing that's never been in question all year long for Southern Miss is who is running back one in on that depth chart, and it's Frank Gore. And Caden, we talked about kind of maybe his some early season struggles, had that good game against Liberty, but then didn't have much to follow it up. But he's heated up in a big way over the last couple of games, 167 yards on the ground. When you look at his last two games, he had his first touchdown since week three last week. That's a good sign for Southern Miss if they can get Frank Gore in this rushing attack going again. It'll take some pressure off of some of these young quarterbacks. 100%. We talked about it before. A running back and a defense is a best friend for a quarterback, especially if you're younger and especially if you're inexperienced. And we talked about them coming back from 19 to 7. That was a lot to do with the run game and them finally establishing that. So I'm excited to watch them continue to build on that run game. Dean, the running back, played another good game. Willis got a couple touches at the end that were big for them. So I think if you look at this Southern Miss run game, it's going to be a big part of if they win this game, why they win it. Yeah, can't agree with you more on that. I think Southern Miss needs to have a good game because they're going to be playing on national television next week. So they want to carry, you know, some momentum into that game. A couple more things on this matchup. Caden, when you look at this Texas State team, this defense, it feels like week in and week out, they get better and better. They allowed a uh, their lowest total, 17 points in that game against Troy. It was their lowest total um, in Sunbelt Conference games this season. Uh, and when you look at the last three games for them or the last three Sunbelt games, they've given up just 81 combined points. It's actually their lowest total through three Sunbelt games since 2013. You have to be impressed with this Texas State defense, and they're making believers out of us week in and week out. Yeah, they're slow. You're right. They're slowly growing, and their stock is slowly rising. I talked about their secondary, how well they've been playing in the beginning of the season. They're led by Cordell Rogers, one of their defensive backs, who's currently one of the national leaders in interceptions right now with four. So I think their secondary is playing well. And up front, they've been playing pretty well. And I also think one more one of the more important things about them is they play good first-half defense. They usually keep teams kind of limited in the first half, keep you to a touchdown, keep you to a field goal. And then as the game goes, they kind of tire out a little bit more. But I think starting fast in this game will be big, especially with them being at home. And I think if they can get another good start against the Southern Miss team, give them some sort of struggles scoring the ball, that'll help them out a ton and they'll help their offense out a ton as well. Hey, Southern Miss's defensive front, it's been excellent this year. They're going to need another big game in this one. They come in 22 sacks created on the season, which is second best in uh, the league, 49 TFLs. Caden, they come into this game, they really get into the backfield and, and cause you to be playing behind the sticks. They're averaging about 8.2 tackles for game or tackles for loss per game this season, which is seventh in the NCAA, second best in the Sun Belt to JMU. Southern Miss, they need to create pressure in this game. They need to, you know, create sacks. And if they're able to do that, this is a game that is very winnable for Will Hall and company. 100%. And I think Southern Miss is so good up front. They're good at getting after the quarterback. And that's definitely one of the strengths of their team. And like I talked about with their run game, if they win it, that's going to be a big reason why. And I think a big testament to that is when you look at them last week, I think you look at them being down 19 to 7. And the next, you know, their defense is showing up. They're doing three and outs, six and seven and outs. They're getting off the field just like that. And it's kind of like we talked about with this Troy South Alabama game earlier. 
Troy got off the field fast, and that's what got their offensive position to make things happen, and that's what kind of left South Alabama behind. That's what you saw last week with Arkansas State. That's why they were able to come back in this game. That's why Lang was able to do some things in the quarterback position. They were able to get their run game going so well because they were getting better starting field position because of their defense. So I think they can do that in this game against Texas State, suck some of the air out of the stadium on the road. That'll be huge for them. It will certainly be interesting in this game. One quick stat to know before we move on to the picks, and that is Southern Miss. They've recorded four sacks in each of their last five games. They've done a great job of creating pressure on opposing quarterbacks and look for them to do that here against Lane Hatcher in this Texas State squad. Well, Caden, let's move on to our picks for this weekend. And for the first time all season long, Caden, I actually waited throughout this episode to make my picks. Normally I come in and I'm locked and loaded. I know who I'm picking, but I wanted to kind of, you know, let a little bit of this, uh, you know, simmer and make some decisions based off of the discussion here. I think when you look at this week, you look at some of the matchups, there's maybe one or two that I I, I feel pretty confident in. Um, but then the rest of them, it feels like throw your hands up and, and maybe hope to get lucky. This is not a weekend that I would spend a lot of money on just because I think games could go either way. But we're going to go ahead and start with that ULM versus Army game. Army comes in as a seven point favorite over under sits at 55 and a half. Okay, now I'll go ahead and go first in this one. I'm going to go ahead and give Army the win in this game. I, I do like what I've seen from ULM, but, um, you know, Army, I do think they're going to run the ball very well in this game. It, it won't surprise me if they're in the 200, 200, and, or 250 to 275 yard range. Uh, I think they're going to control the time of possession. Uh, when you look at this game, I don't think we'll get to the over or get to that, that, that point line at 55 and a half. So I'm going to take the under, but give me Army to win against ULM. Yeah, this is a tough one. I think we both, with our hearts trying to root for the Sunbelt, wanted to go with ULM, and they have been playing some of their better football in the last couple of weeks, especially with that loss to or that win over ULL. It's really more impressive than any of Army's wins. You look at Army beating a basketball school in Villanova and an Ivy League school in Colgate. It's not really impressive, but Army is at home, and their style of play is just too much of a problem, I think, for ULM. They run the ball too well, and I think them being at home running the ball and kind of eager for a win because they're used to being good at Army. I just got to go with Army in this one, but I do think ULM will keep it close. I think they cover that seven-point spread and keep this one down to the wire because they have to make the most of their opportunities. I think they've proven with their quarterback and wide receiver duo they can make that happen. So give me Army to win, but give me ULL, ULM sorry, to cover, and I think I'm going to take the under on the points. 255 is just a little bit too much for me too. Yeah, I think those are some fair picks there. I like the pick of uh, ULM covering that spread and, and maybe keeping that game close. Um, let's move on. James Madison versus Marshall. And this is, I think, the game that I am I feel the most confident about this weekend. But who knows once we strap on the helmets on Saturday. But JMU comes in a 13-point favorite in this game at an over-under of 53-and-a-half. Kane, I went first on the first one. Take it away. Yeah, give me James Madison with this one. We talked about it before. I think they're going to come out on fire. They're coming out to prove something in this game. And you looked at the formula that Georgia Southern had to beat them last week. Takes points to beat JMU, clearly. And I don't think Marshall has that in their bag. They can't throw the ball. They don't have that explosive passing attack. So simply put, JMU is more complete. And I don't think it's ridiculous to pick them at all. This one, give me James Madison. This one, I think they're going to take their um, points and cover 13 I think they're going to be coming out to prove a point. I think they're going to try to put some points up. So I'm going to take them to cover, but I am going to take the under. I think they are going to give Marshall some problems on defense in this one. I think just because of that, Marshall's not going to be able to hold up their end of the bargain as far as points. So give me James Madison to win and cover, but I'm going to take the under on the points. So I'm going to differ with you on the over-under. I am going to take the over in this game, and I'm going to do it because I think JMU is about to come out and play angry. They are frustrated after losing last weekend down at Georgia Southern, and I have the feeling they're about to take it out on Marshall in this game. Um, I, I think we've seen how good James Madison's rushing attack is all year long. 
um, or, you know, rushing defense. And I think they're going to be able to slow Marshall down. I do think Marshall will be able to maybe pick up a couple of touchdowns here, but I think James Madison could have a really big day on offense. So give me JMU to win and cover in this game. I am going to take the over and differ from you slightly. Okay, now we mentioned it when we were talking about this next game. This probably would have been our game of the week had it not been for Troy versus South Alabama. And it's probably a good thing for these two teams that, um, you know, it isn't the game of the week because, Kane, we've had three game of the weeks that we've actually put a graphic out on Twitter and we've actually been wrong on all three. So I'm just going to go ahead and call <laughs> us out. We've, you know, we've had some pretty crappy picks. So um, Old Dominion comes in as a two point favorite here. This game is going to be played up in Norfolk um, over Georgia, yeah, you know, Georgia Southern traveling up there. Over under sits at 66. Kane, this is a really interesting game. Obviously, we when we talked about this, and this was another one I wanted to wait on and, and kind of think about as we went into this episode, but uh, Old Dominion has not shown the ability to slow down anyone through the air, and we just saw the performance that Kyle Van Trees had. Um, so I, I, I've got to take Georgia Southern in this game. I think Georgia Southern has been one of the best stories early on. We have you know talked about their ability to throw the rock around the yard. Uh, so I like Georgia Southern to win this game outright uh, up in Norfolk, but obviously we've seen the ability for Old Dominion's defense. I think if Old Dominion can force some turnovers, this game could be interesting. Uh, over under at 66 feels a little bit high despite Georgia Southern's ability to put points on the scoreboard. So give me the under there. I liked a lot of what you said, No, I thought I was going to have a little bit of a, a differing pick because we talked about how well ODU plays at home and they are at home this one and they are favored by two points. But you mentioned it, both of these teams have clearly not proven they can really stop offenses and it's going to be an offensive battle and I think Georgia Southern is just more built for the kind of game this is going to be I think ODU's played more bend don't break type of defense but Georgia Southern's proven they could just break that especially what they did against JMU so give me Georgia Southern in this one and because I think they're going to win I think they're going to cover but I'm going to take the over on the points I think Southern will hold up their end of the bargain as far as points and I think ODU proved enough to me last week that they'll be able to hold their own as well and I think the points can go over in this one so give me Southern to win give me them to cover and then give me the points over Next game up, this one could get interesting, and that's Louisiana versus Arkansas State. This game is going to be played down at Cajun Field, and I think that could play a big role in this game. Louisiana comes in as a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under sits at 52. Caden, why don't you make your picks first here? Yeah, we talked about it, and we talked about ULL being able to turn the corner and maybe figure some things out. I think this is going to be where they really stamp it. I'm picturing a late rally from ULL in the season, them figuring things out with Rouledridge and their formula to win. So give me ULL to win this one. I do think they cover. I think they win by more than a touchdown. Arc State's creeping in that. We don't really know how to win area, and I think ULL is about to creep in that. We're going to get things going and show that we have that championship pedigree, but I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think both of these teams have kind of proven, if you look at both of their strengths, ULL is going to do a good job, I think, of stopping Arkansas State like they've been doing per usual this year, and Louisiana is just going to do what they can to put as many points on the board as they can. They're really not super great at it, but they're going to do enough to win. So give me Louisiana to win and cover, but I'm going to take the under on the points. I really wish I knew how healthy Chris Smith was because I think that that would help me make this decision yeah. a little bit easier. But obviously, he's questionable. We're thinking he's going to play. But the question obviously becomes is how healthy will he look? Um, you know, at six and a half, playing at home, uh, I'm going to take Louisiana in this one. I think that they're playing some better football. I like that they have finally established a quarterback, even though it took them a lot of weeks to do it. But I feel like Ben Wooldridge is the guy. Uh, again, I think I tend to agree with you on that over under at 52 I don't know if we're going to see a ton of points put up in this game. I mean, obviously, we've seen Louisiana's ability to put up points uh, at home, so maybe we do, but I think the safe bet to me would be to take the under. So give me Louisiana to win this game, and we're going to take the under against Arkansas State. Uh, last game of the weekend, Texas State versus Southern Miss, and another tight line right here. Southern Miss 
uh, a two and a half point favorite in this game over under sits at 44 and a half. And I'll go ahead and go first. Um, this is going to be a tight game, in my opinion, in San Marcos. I think there's going to be two really good defensive performances. This one, you know, might be a low scoring affair, much like we just saw from Troy in South Alabama. Uh, I think we have seen that in low scoring games that tends to favor Southern Miss. They've been able to pull out a couple of those low scoring games this year. Texas State hasn't been able to. So I'm going to take Southern Miss on the road. Ups or you know beating Texas State here over under at forty four and a half. I think we're going to go under in this game. I think both defenses will play well. Uh, so give me Southern Miss to win, and we're going to take the under. And ultimately, that's going to set up a big game uh, next week on national television at home for Southern Miss. I'm smiling hard on this one because we're finally disagreeing for the first time. Finally, the Southern Miss fans also will be happy about you picking them. But I'm taking Texas State in this one. I think. They've impressed me these last couple of weeks, and I think you could argue that they're the most battle-tested team in the Sun Belt. They played Troy, they played App State, and they played JMU back-to-back-to-back, and they held their own in two of those games and won one of them. I think that one was at home, and I think this one's at home. I think they're going to feed off the energy of the crowd, play well and confident. And also, I think Lane Hatcher is going to be the most experienced quarterback in this game, regardless of who plays on the other side of the ball for Texas State. So give me Texas State to win, which means they're going to cover. But I'm going to take the over on the points. I feel like 44 and a half. Just a little bit too low. We saw this team score twice against a Troy team who just had an absolute shutout against one of the best teams in the conference. And I think maybe Southern Miss will be able to get that run game going and get a couple things going. But a strong defensive matchup, I think it barely, barely goes over at 44 points. So give me Texas State to win, them to cover, and give me the over on the points. Hey, we'll certainly see. Obviously, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag for you and I on picks uh, to begin this week. So we'll see how it goes over the weekend. Well, it was another full episode of the Frarian Smith podcast. We've already seen some great football this week and are definitely excited for more on Saturday. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with another episode on Monday where we'll recap all of the remaining action from week eight around the Sun Belt. We did want to say a quick thanks for taking time to listen. If you like what you heard on today's episode of the Frary and Smith podcast, make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss a future episode. And if you'd be so kind, rate the show, leave us a quick review. We always love hearing what you think about the podcast. Finally, follow the show on our Twitter page at at Frary and Smith for all the latest football news and notes around the Sun Belt. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>